well, I've shared in the past, how I've had several accidents uh, while driving. I've shared a few of those stories, and I was thinking about it just even this morning, uh, how over half of those accidents have not uh, dealt with another car. Uh, those have all just been me making a mistake and having an accident, whether it was hitting a guardrail or a mailbox. Uh, it seems to be that most of my accidents have been totally my fault, but in each one of those, the weather played an issue. Uh, either it was rain or it was ice or it was snowing, and there became a moment in those accidents where I lost complete control. Uh, it was inevitable that I was going to crash, that something else was going to stop me, and there was nothing I could do about it. The collision was inevitable. As we're in week two of collision course, I just want to tell you uh, that conflict is really inevitable. It's encouraging, right? Uh, just to let you know uh, that there is going to be conflict in your life. And the reason is, is because you are sitting right now around people. And people are broken, and people are hurting, and people are selfish, and we are those people. And so in the midst of that, when we are in relationships, there is going to be conflict. And so last week, and then in these next couple of weeks, I just want to help you uh, see how to navigate conflict well. Um, not, not that you're going to do something in your life where you're no longer going to have conflict, but, but when there is conflict, and I'm telling you there is going to be conflict, how do you do it in such a way um, that there's actually stronger relationships afterwards? Most of the time, conflict happens and there's brokenness and there's hurt and there's pain. And what if in the midst of conflict, there could actually be some healing and growth that happens uh, I said this last week, conflict is just really just a disagreement or argument. Usually conflict is extended, so it often goes on for a, a longer period of time than just in a moment. And I said this last week, if you are a follower of Jesus, I know not everyone in here it, it would say that they are, but if you are, if you would say and you would give yourself the label of Christian, I think it is your responsibility to be someone who seeks after peace that really it's not an option, that we are supposed to be and called to be peacemakers. And to be peacemakers, we have to seek after it. Now, the, the main scripture that we're going to look at uh, for this series is Romans 12, 18. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a red hardback Bible around you somewhere. Please take that. That's our, our gift to you. We want you to be able to have that. You can write in it. Uh, but I want you actually, we don't do this often, but I want you to read this with me. I would love it if you were able to memorize this over the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is a scripture that I think can come in, in handy if you would just read with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible. So therefore, in the immediately, we, we see Paul who's writing this, kind of give us this idea that sometimes it may not be possible. There's going to be some conflict and some problems and some issues where maybe you just can't find peace. But if it's possible... As much as it depends on you, if you're giving it all you can to find peace, that, that's really what we're called to do. So if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So last week I, I told you the, the first step in doing this is really for you to take the first step 
for you to take the move to begin to deal with the conflict in your life, to not wait for the other person. We, we even looked at the words of Jesus and he said, look, if you're in a place of worship and you're about to give an offering and you remember that someone has something against you, that's not even you have something against someone else, but someone has something to, against you, he says to leave your offering and go and, and deal with the conflict that you have in your life. And so I, I told you, like, let, let's begin to really pray and have courage to take the first step, to deal with some of those things that are causing conflict in our human relationships, our, our, our personal relationships. Because working towards these peaceful resolutions and, and dealing with things, these issues are not always easy. That's why we don't want to do it. That's why we usually don't deal with it because it's, it's hard. Conflict is easy. Conflict is easy, but making peace is hard work, but it's, it's worth it. And I don't think we always believe that. We're afraid of it. And so we, we're afraid of it, I think, because we don't really know how to deal with, with conflict. And so we really deal with conflict in two ways. And so as, as I give you some really tangible things to do when dealing with conflict, I first think it's important for us to understand how we usually deal with conflict. Uh, the first way that, that we usually deal with, con uh, deal with conflict, and maybe you do, is we escape from it. We escape from it. And so one way we do that is to, to pretend that it doesn't exist. We, we are honestly in denial that we're in conflict with someone. Uh, a few months ago, I shared that my, my daughter, who is uh, a little hunter, deer hunter with me, uh, harvested her first deer. Uh, and with the help of some, some loved ones and some family, uh, they decided to have it mounted for my daughter. Uh, my wife was not happy about this um, because... With mounting a deer, it meant we had to find somewhere to hang this deer. And so she, uh, we, we spent the last few months, uh, Kennedy, my daughter, and I, excited about getting this deer back, and we played this game. And there's been a little bit of conflict about where we were going to hang this deer. And so we finally picked it up on uh, Friday, and I had been telling my wife, there's a perfect spot in our living room. It's going to look beautiful next to the TV. And so I bring it home. She's like, it is not going in the living room. And I said, well, let's just hang it in the living room as a trial, right? We'll just give it a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll hang it in the living room. And so here it is uh, hanging in our, in our, uh, in our living room. Um, my wife's not in here right now, so I can really say whatever I want about this, uh, this deer hanging in our, in our living room. But it is massive, it is massive. And so my wife hates it. And I tell her she's the best mom in the world because she's letting us hang it. But she really just can't take it down because it's heavy. Um, but, but she's letting us hang it in the, in the living room. And she thinks it's just going to be horrible. And so we had five people come over on Friday after hanging this deer on the wall. Okay, five people entered in. I, I'm, I'm walking into our living room from the front door. Not one person noticed it. Not one person Everyone walks in, they interact, and they don't see this massive deer hanging on the wall. And every time I tell my wife, see, it's really not that big of a deal, right? It's, it's, it's great. Um, it will probably come down in a couple weeks. But if you could do me a favor, just tell my wife how beautiful it is hanging in the, uh, in the, in the living room. But this is what I started thinking about. Because every time you walk in, it kind of startles you because it is massive. And, and you forget that it's there. And maybe you've heard this phrase, the elephant in the room, right? You've heard this before. Ours is just the deer in the, in the living room. But, but here's what happens for most of us. There's addictions. There's brokenness in our marriage. Our kids are rebelling. We have issues with our boss at work. We have 
issue with an employee or with a teacher or a student. And for many of us, we just pretend it doesn't exist. And everyone knows the elephant in the room, but no one is willing, willing to deal with it. And so we just live in denial. But, but in living in denial doesn't mean the conflict goes away. It just acts itself out in lots of different ways and it causes problems. Denial just brings this temporary relief, but usually just makes things worse. Another way that we escape is we flee or we run physically. Right? So maybe you just quit the job. Things get too tough and there's conflict and you don't want to deal with it and so you just, you just quit. You quit the job or you quit the team or you leave the house. Right? You don't want to deal with the conflict and so you just leave. You physically run. You abandon friendships because of conflict. You just flee from it. You don't want to deal with it and so you escape. But l- let me say this. There is sometimes that fleeing is okay. Physical abuse, any sort of abuse, it is okay. So I don't want you to, to hear me say as you think about conflict, oh, Kyle's telling me I just need to stay and take it. That's not what I'm saying. There are some times where you need to flee and you need to find help. There are some times where tempers get, uh, get going and there's aggression and you need to just pause and you need to walk away. But temporarily, we, we have to begin to deal with the problems that are in our lives. There, there's an author, his name's Ken Sandy. He's also a certified Christian conciliator. Uh, he, he's written a couple of books, but he calls this escaping. He calls it peace faking. Peace faking, just trying to make things look good even when they aren't. Uh, some of you uh, maybe experienced that this morning. Uh, there was an argument and then you pull into the parking lot and it's amazing. Something happens as you get out of the car. Uh, everyone walks into the church building and everything is okay. But we know it's not. It's just peace faking. We're just escaping. So when we think about doing all we can to be at peace with everyone, when we escape, we're not doing all that we can. The the other thing that we do is we attack. We attack. Uh, We we don't want to deal with it in a healthy way, and so we attack. And when we attack, we're we're more concerned about winning. We're, We're more concerned about winning than preserving relationships or finding healing. When we attack, we want to win. It is about us. And Ken Sandy calls this peace breaking. Uh, it's which we sacrifice people and peace to get what we want. We don't really care about the other person. We don't care about finding peace. We just want our way. And so you have to begin to ask the question, what, what do I normally tend to do? Do I escape or do I attack? Romans twelve eighteen. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, what do you normally do? What do you find yourself doing when it comes to seeking peace? Now, I asked you last week just to begin to pray for the courage because it's hard. We haven't really been taught how to deal with conflict. And so the idea of really going and dealing with conflict, it really is going to take some courage. And so I asked you to pray for some courage. I ask you to even write down maybe the name of a person that you have conflict with. What is the issue that is causing the conflict and begin there? And then I said this week, I want to really give you some tangible things to begin to do. Um, A lot of this has come from Ken Sandy. Uh, He he wrote a book called Peacemaker, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict. I would encourage you to to look at those books. 
again, peacemaker, resolving everyday conflict, as well as uh, a lady who's been my counselor over the last couple of years, a lady named Judy Dabbler, uh, who wrote uh, Peacemaking Women. Um, a lot of these ideas come from, from them. If you want more, I would encourage you to go and, and read um, from that. Uh, but here's the first question I want you to begin to ask as you think about who you're going to have conflict with and who are you going to try and seek peace with. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's a great question to begin with. How can I continue to glorify God in the midst of the conflict? How can I still glorify God in the midst of whatever is going on? Usually we don't think about God when we're dealing with conflict. We, we want to punish, uh, we want to be heard, we want to win. We want to get back at whoever has hurt us. But we have to begin to bring God into the conversation. And we just ask the question, how can I honor God? How can I glorify God in the midst of this conflict? Uh, Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, he wasn't always. He was killing Christians persecuting Christians, asking for permission to go and seek out Christians. He becomes a Christian and plants churches and he writes these letters. And he's writing to this group of Christians in Corinth. And he begins to kind of catch wind and, and see what's going on in, in Corinth. And really it was a group of people who, who the slogan, have it your way, would have been their slogan. Uh, get what you want. They were still trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus and things weren't always going well. The, the problems, if you wanted to read in, in 1 Corinthians, there's these public fightings, there's inappropriate relationships, there's even drunkenness at church gatherings. It, it is kind of chaos. And, and so Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 begins to write and give some instructions about some things. In, in verse 24, he even says this, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. If we begin to look at conflict and we say, well, how can I not just seek my own good and what's right for me, but how can I seek what's right for both of us? What is also good for the other person? There's lots of implications for this scripture in our lives in lots of different ways. But when it comes to conflict, if we can begin to say, all right, what if this wasn't just about me? And then he goes on and there's these questions about if I am invited to someone's house and they, they want to feed me a certain food that I'm not supposed to eat, should I eat it? And he gives these instructions on, on really how to, how to participate in life with one another when we even disagree. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I'm really thankful when Paul writes, he often will do that. He'll list a bunch of things and then he says, and whatever else there is. It's like Paul can't fully describe every situation where you could do this. And so he says, in every area of your life, in every area of your life, including how you handle conflict, do it all for the glory of God. And so what does that look like? I'm going to give you just a few tips. We're, we're going to go through these uh, quickly here. The first thing that we need to do when we're dealing with conflict is you have to own your part. You gotta own your part. And when you begin to look at the conflict that you're going through, how much of it have you contributed to it? Is it 1%? Then you own the 1%. If it's 50%, then own the 50%. But you have to own your part of the conflict. What decisions, what words, what attitudes, what did you do that has led to the conflict? How did you participate in it? And then you own that Usually we like to judge or we like to blame or pretend the problem is all someone else's fault. But if we're honest, we know we've contributed to it. Maybe not as much as the other person, but, 
maybe even more. But you have to own your part of the problem, of the conflict. Uh, Jesus gives a teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We don't have a lot of like sermons of Jesus, but we have one. It's found in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about lots of different things. And we've looked at the scripture uh, really uh, just a couple years ago. And so I wanna, I wanna do it again. Matthew 7, uh, three through five, Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. And maybe you're here today. Let me say this. Maybe you're here and you think, Man, I don't know for sure who Jesus is or really what he came to do. I'm not even sure I believed in And God. I, I really think whether you believe or not, if you could just begin to put some of these principles in place. If you would just apply it, I would believe that God, even though you may not understand that or believe it, God will begin to do some things in your life. And so these are the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, he says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So speck of sawdust compared to a plank. And I've used this visual before, uh, but a plank, the word for plank would actually be a beam. All right, so Jesus is being literally kind of ridiculous here as he makes this statement. I think I can say that. Um, He's being kind of ridiculous in the sense of comparing the two things. But, but honestly, as we think about our lives, uh, we are not willing sometimes to deal with the plank in our own eye. Uh, th- this acts itself out when you think of marriage, right? And you think about the, your spouse and what they've done and how they've hurt you or what's happened, but we are often unwilling to deal with the plank. I mean, just get this visual. Okay, I don't know if I can hold this, but you think of the, the speck of sawdust compared to this, right? It seems... It seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous, but I promise, if you're going to begin to deal with conflict, if you want to find peace in your relationships, you first have to begin to say, all right, what have I done to contribute to this? And Jesus isn't saying that you don't then go to the other person. He's not saying you don't deal with the the, the speck of sawdust in the other person's eye. It's just that you're going to be able to do that more clearly. Your intentions are going to look differently because you've been dealing with the own plank in your own eye. And so really, as you think about peace, I'm going to encourage you to pray Psalm 139. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, it says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This can be scary. Like if you really believe this, and you really want to invite God into it, and you begin to say, all right, God, would you show me? Would you show me what part I've been playing in this? Will you search my heart and draw anything out of it that shouldn't be there? And then there's a phrase that you need to say. And and this is a phrase that that is really hard, and we're not very good at it, but I, I want to teach you this phrase. It's just two words, and it's the phrase... I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like we're not good at that, right? Because when we say I'm sorry, it, we might be afraid that it looks like it's all our fault. It's like usually we, we want to hear from the other person first. I, I want to hear what they have to say and then, and then I'll do my part. But what if, what if we reverse that? What, what if we made the first move, we owned our part 
And then we said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. See, nobody's taught us to do this. If you have kids, I have a 12-year-old, my, my daughter, and my son, who's seven. Um, if you have kids, there's been something that has happened where maybe one has hit the other or something's taken place, and it would go something like this. Why did you hit your sister? Maybe that's happened. Why did you hit your sister? And, and then he doesn't have a good answer. And then we'll say something like this. We'll say you're sorry. Right? Why, why did you hear, say you're sorry? I'm sorry. All right, now go play. Right? That has been the extent of what we have learned when it comes to saying we're sorry. Let me just tell you, that's not a good apology. To, to say we're sorry, there, there is so much more. I wish I could spend uh, a lot of time on this. We, I'm going to fly through these really quickly. Uh, Ken Sandy talks more about these. You can actually search this, the seven A's of confession, seven A's of confession. I'm just going to run through these really quick. Address everyone. Um, and so if you do something to your spouse and your kids are around, you address your kids as well. So you address everyone who has been hurt or who is involved in the conflict. Avoid if, but, or maybe. These are super important as you go to the person and say, I'm sorry. Uh, things like, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, but you really had it coming to you. I'm sorry, but if you would have just done what I need you to do, that wouldn't have happened. Those are not good apologies. And if you will just listen to public, famous people apologize when they're caught, you will almost hear, always hear this. We're not good at giving apologies. Uh, admit specifics. So for the, the situation I was just saying, it would be Cade saying, I'm sorry because I hit you. Name the specifics when you say you're sorry. Acknowledge the hurt. I'm sorry that I hit you. I know it hurt. Accept the consequences. What consequences come from the actions that you've taken? Is it paying for damages? Is it correcting some gossip that you've shared about someone? But you've got to accept the consequences. And then you alter your behavior. Right? Some of you are in situations where, where people have said sorry to you over and over then nothing changes. But part of saying we're sorry, part of confession, part of repenting is beginning to change the way we think and the way we live. So when we say we're sorry, our intent is a changed or altered behavior. And then you ask for forgiveness. Don't leave this part out. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? So the seven A's of confession, but you have to make the first move. You have to own your part of the conflict. What did you do? And then you have to have a good confession. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Uh, the second thing after this is you begin to listen for the hurt. Uh, we have a saying that loved people love people, uh, but it's also true that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And we've all been hurt and our hurt acts itself out in different ways. It works its way into our relationships and our lives. And so listen for the hurt. When you've been in a conflict, have you ever asked, what is going on? Well, why do you feel the way that you feel? And you're beginning to listen to the hurt. Do you even know what the issue is? Do you know what the problem is? Do you know why your spouse hasn't spoken to you in the last 24 hours? Do you know why your boss is avoiding you? Do you know why the friend isn't responding to your man? Do you even know what the conflict is? 
I said last week that there's oftentimes there's misunderstandings. We read into things that we shouldn't. We may not even know what the problem is. What if you just asked? What, what is it that's causing the problem? Maybe they feel unheard, not respected, they're not appreciated, but just ask the question, what's wrong? And, and ask it in the right way. In good timing, in good faith, you ask what is wrong. James 1.19 says this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. We have to be quick to listen to those people we have a conflict with. Not coming back with an argument, not trying to, to read into what they're saying, but to really listen. We want to be quick to listen. And when we're quick to listen, then we're slow to speak. We're slow to th- say things that we will regret saying later, which will often lead to becoming angry. So we're quick to listen. I think when hurt people become heard people, when hurt people become heard people, they're at the ideal place of making peace. When hurt people become heard people, I think that is a good step to begin dealing with conflict. The next thing is just to begin to choose your words wisely. Choose them carefully. I mean, your words either build up or they tear down. Um, Paul, even in a letter, says that speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean you can't tell someone how you're feeling. It doesn't mean you can't tell someone what the conflict is. But how do you say it? Can you speak it in a way that is loving, that is not about winning, but about finding peace? So we must begin to tell the truth tactfully. We we don't become truth tellers with a, a club that we beat people up with. But we speak the truth because we hope that healing and peacemaking can come. And so truth without grace hurts people. If I tell you the truth, but there's no grace, it's going to hurt. If I give you all grace, but I don't speak the truth, it just hinders people and it hinders relationships. And then when we speak truth, but there's no love, it's going to be resisted. So, so how can we choose our words that actually help instead of hurt? So what often happens is we attack we demean, we speak poorly about someone. Uh, if, if you want to follow these instructions, uh, look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.18. He's going to talk about some things you have to get rid of. And if you're going to find healing and peace in conflict, you have to get rid of these things. It says this, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So we get rid of, it's really angry rage, so intimidation and threats, malice, just meanness. The way you speak to someone when you're in conflict, there's malice or slander to speak other, to other people poorly about the person you're in conflict with, or the language, filthy language, language that degrades or punishes. And so I wanna just give you a, a quick tip, especially if you're married, um, specifically, or even with your kids, you could work with a coworker, you begin to have some language that you just won't use. Uh, so no threatening of divorce, no threatening to walk away or to leave, uh, no bringing up past issues that have already been dealt with, no hurtful names. Uh, these are things if we want to find peace, we cannot do. We cannot do, and we can't let other people do as we navigate peace with, with others. 
And so we build up and we don't tear down. Um, I, I could literally spend hours working through this. And so I want to encourage you, especially if you are in the midst of conflict that seems unresolvable. Uh, Ken Sandy, just search his name, Ken Sandy, read more. Um, but these are some simple steps. These are some easy steps that I think we can all put into practice. And if you've heard me today, everything I've said is about you. Right? Because what I know to be true is I cannot control other people. I can't control other people. But as much as it depends on me, if it's possible, live at peace with everybody. And then the final thing, and this is what we're going to look at moving forward, is we begin to work towards forgiveness and reconciliation and, if possible, restoration. We're going to dive into that next week. Uh, this morning, we're going to end uh, by baptizing some people. If you're going to be baptized, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and go and get uh, prepared for that. Um, he, here's the thing that I want you to hear as we move into uh, to this part of the, the service. Uh, each one of these people at some point have found peace with God. Right? As we think about conflict and we think about hurt and pain, uh, we understand that there's this brokenness between uh, God and his people because of sin. But God makes the first move towards us out of love. He makes the move towards us and he allows us an opportunity to be at peace with him. And so uh, the five people we're going to baptize today at some point in their life, they have made a decision to receive that and to be able to say they're at peace with, with God. Um, there's all ages that we're going to baptize today. And the, the first little girl, her name is Cora. And, uh, and she's going to be the first. And she had a hard time writing anything. We asked people to write uh, a little something to be read. And so I've, I've talked with Cora. And I just want to share with you as I sh- uh, spoke with Cora. And I said, Cora, why, why do you want to be baptized? Why, why is this in, important to you? And she said, I just want people to know that I have Jesus in my heart. Right? And so sometimes our language isn't enough. Sometimes we try and become uh, too big with even what we want to describe and say about our, our faith. But for Cora, a young girl, without being prodded or pushed or told what to say, she just said she wants all of you to know. She wants all of you to know that she believes Jesus is in her and that she believes in this grace and this love. And so she's going to be the first one here in a, in a moment who's going to come up and, uh, and celebrate by being baptized. And now, the, the picture of baptism is a sign of what God has done. Uh, what he is still doing in our lives, that as we go into the water, it's this kind of watery grave to the old life, and we come out of the water uh, new and cleansed. Uh, And then I started thinking, uh, often in a marriage, in in a wedding ceremony, I encourage those who have been married to remember the vows that they once made. I think that the same is, is true this morning. If you have been baptized, would this be a moment where you remember again Would you remember again the sign of what God has done in your life, that he has given you peace with him? Uh, Greg's going to come up and uh, lead us in uh, our song here that we always end with. Um, I'm going to do a quick uh, wardrobe change, and then uh, we'll we'll come back out and um, we'll celebrate. And and feel free to celebrate after each one of these uh, get get baptized. Uh, I'll pray. Father, thanks for uh, this morning. I'm, I'm praying, Lord. Um, as I always do, the things that we've heard this morning, we would put into practice. We know that there's conflict in our life. We know there's pain and there's issues. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to do all that we can to be at peace with everybody as much as it depends on us. And so I pray um, for, for those who just simply need to say, I'm sorry. 
They need to own their part of the problem. And Lord, I know that barriers will come down. I think that's the first good step of beginning to seek peace is to admit our wrong and to say that we're sorry. Lord, would you help us just to take that step? And then would you help us to use our words wisely to listen to the the hurt of those we are in conflict with? And ultimately, Lord, what I'm hoping will happen is we will find peace. We'll find peace and our relationships will grow and they'll be healthier than they ever have been because we're willing to deal with the conflict in our lives. Now, would you help us to do this? I pray in Jesus' name.